Welcome to the Quest for Authentic Manhood. Today's date is Thursday, March the 13th, 2008, and we are in week 22 of the Quest. This week we are being led by Pastor Greg Mott of Houston's First Baptist Church in the lesson entitled Father and Sons. We're glad that you're with us. We hope that you're working on your manhood plan. Remember to finish it and turn it in by the 24th week, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. God bless you. Things ain't easy at the moment, Jay. You're right. There's a lot of people worse off than what we are. And just because things ain't easy, that don't give you the excuse to take what's not yours, does it? That's stealing, right? We don't steal. No matter what happens, we don't steal. Not ever. You got me? Are you giving me your word? Yes. Go on. I promise. And I promise you, we will never send you away. (laughs) It's okay, kid. You got a little scared, I understand. That's a powerful clip. I always hate when they make me cry before I'm about to speak. You know, <laughs> oh gosh, I need somebody to talk to me. You know, man, amazing, amazing thought to be able to hear that promise of I'll never send you away. And what happens is, a lot of times we don't send our kids away physically, but we send them away in our busyness. You know, I mean, how many times have we as fathers? I know I'll say for me, you get home and you're like, oh, and my son will say, well, I'm going to go down to the neighbor's house and play, and you go, yes. You know, because gives you a little bit of break because as a dad, you go to work all day, you're making decisions all day, you come home, and you're on again. It's the second job. Uh, obviously, the primary job, the most important job, but it's something that's keeping you going now until you get to bedtime to be able to, to go to sleep and to say, you know, now I can finally rest or talk to my wife or whatever it is. But we're going to look in session 22 is where we're going to be. That's page 75. And look at the power that a dad has. There's so much power that we have as a father to be able to influence, make an impact in in lives, good or bad. When we came through the beginning of this journey with men's life, we were looking at it, and we were really unpacking some of the bad that we might have received from our dads. That's what the whole beginning parts were. It's saying, what is it with our dad that we've got to unpack and get on the journey? That gives us three different things um, of parenting, three different types of parenting. Number one, absent parenting. Absent parenting. Now, that can be that you're actually physically not absent, but spiritually you're absent, emotionally you're absent. Um, In the equipping of the child, you're absent. Do you know that 40% don't have a mom or a dad? Um, in uh, In the 50s and 60s, they would ask the question, where's dad? That'd be a question people would ask. Where's dad? He's always working. He's always doing his thing. In the 60s, or excuse me, in the 80s and 90s, we began to ask, where's mom and where's dad? Because now mom's going out and going to work. And so even in the video that we saw, mom's at home 
taking care of the kids all day, and Dad arrives back, I suppose, from work, um, doing what he does. And in the beginning days, it was, where's Dad? Now it's a question of, where's Mom and where's Dad? And the kids are, are growing up without that now. Sometimes that has to happen in the working world. So don't, I'm not giving shame on you by, you know, if, if your wife works, that's not what I'm saying. But to be able to really be aware of the fact that absent parenting is, an absent, is, a, is a problem because we have to really look and say, okay, we're not there. Number two, engaged parenting. Engaged parenting. That someone's involved. That that would be the, the description that we would have there, that you're involved. That we've got to be able to say, okay, now I'm engaged, I'm involved, and I bet all of us in this room, I'm going to take a, take a leap out there, I bet engaged parenting would for sure be a description of us, that you're involved, you're there, you're running to soccer practice, you're playing with them, you're doing all of those things. Absent parenting, you're probably not sitting in this room if you're wanting to be an absent parent because you're saying, I want to take a step forward as a man, man to really uh, move in that direction. The next one, the third one, is strategic parenting. This is where I think we separate a lot of times in our Christianity. We're involved dads, in particular with our sons, because we know we're supposed to be. We've been to Promise Keepers. We've gone to a men's Bible study. We're supposed to be involved. We have a memory back of our dad coaching our little league team, and we want to coach his little league team. We want to be involved in what's happening. But do we move from that point of involved parenting into strategic parenting? Strategic parenting or engaged parenting to strategic parenting. Strategic parenting, these would be the two words that I would give you. Engaged and equipping. Engaged and equipping. You see what we've done? We've built upon this. We've said, first of all, absent parenting, boo, hiss. None of us want to do that. Next, we've got engaged parenting. Okay, yeah, applause. You're a great dad. I'm a great dad. We're there. We're hanging out. The next spot is strategic parenting. Strategic parenting involves engaged. You've got to be engaged if you're going to be involved. has to be there. Now, I, I asked my little guy last night as I put him to bed, I said, what's your favorite thing that you and Daddy do together? I ask him this, I don't know, probably once every three weeks. I don't have it on the calendar. It doesn't ring on my you know, Palm Pilot to ask my kid this. I just try to do this to try to get a read of what it is because I don't want to be playing Candyland with him, and, and that was his favorite thing when he was three, and then now at six he's, there's something else he wants to do. He said, uh, wrestling. And so I thought, okay, that's good. That's engaged. We wrestle. We play. And, you know, we, we joke with each other. I said, I need to see Grayson in the front room right now. Are you ready to get whipped down? Are you ready to get beat down? We're going at it. Here we go. And just kind of that, that you know, I don't want to be like, sweetheart, honey, what would you like daddy and you to do? I went, come on, Target, I'm going to rip your head off. Let's go. You know, and, and let's, let's play and wrestle and do that. So we, um, we'll go and wrestle. And he said, wrestling. And then he thought for a minute. He goes, no, trampoline. Well, we've been on wrestling for a while, and now we've moved to trampoline, which I like wrestling better, you know, because it's indoors and my head doesn't have to bounce around, you know, for an hour. So, uh, but i got to move now to more trampolining. So that's engaged, but strategic is another step. Strategic looks like this. Next week we're going to Guatemala. Uh, I'm going to take them on the rookie trip with me. And so we're going to go and do that to kind of get ready because I didn't want Guatemala to be the first thing he ever did with me. We went, um, obviously I have... Uh, uh, more of an um, ability to go on mission trips than you guys do because it's part of my vocation, you know, to go on mission trips. I don't have to take vacation to go on a mission trip. So, um, but I took him with the choir and the orchestra. We went to New Orleans, and he got in there with Katrina houses, and we got him a little scraper, and he scraped off the foam that was coming out of the wall and this, you know, kind of a caulking-type foam you put around electricity thing. He nailed some things. He 
picked up some, some trash in the backyard. And, I mean, it was great. It was wonderful. A couple weeks ago, I was speaking in Dallas. I said, why don't you and Daddy, we'll go on a trip to Dallas. So we got on a plane together, and we flew to Dallas, and we stayed in the hotel together. And we went that night um, out and got, and this was a big deal. We went and got uh, waffles, you know, or pancakes at IHOP, and he was up at 10. He fell asleep in my lap. You know, but it was, it was great. It was fun. That was all preparing for strategic parenting. I want him to go to Guatemala, and one of the things we're going to do in Guatemala is we're going to feed kids that don't have food. We feed them. You'll be proud of our church. On Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they get fed. They used to just be Monday, Friday. We took a rookie trip. The rookie trip said we can't handle that they're not getting food on Wednesday. So they, in their own uh, accord in that rookie trip, they developed uh, an organization that raised money from out of those folks with a rookie trip that now we feed on Wednesdays because of people at First Baptist Houston saying, you know what, we can afford another $3 every Wednesday from each of us to make sure these kids have food. Well, we're going to be there on a Thursday, and so we're not going to feed them the typical food they get. We're going to order them pizza or fried chicken. Any of your kids go, you know, absolutely bonkers over pizza? We get excited about it, but we're going to roll into the barrio pizza and my little guy is going to see amazing just glee by these kids that maybe never had pizza in their life and we'll get to see that that's an example of something i'm trying to do in strategic parenting you know bedtime stories engaged parenting we we tripped the switch a couple weeks ago um of now we're reading the lion the witch and the wardrobe you know so here we are now we're about 10 chapters in and we're talking about aslan aslan's like jesus and the white witch is like Satan and here and so we've got this strategic thing and it's been great for me because I mean I can't read another Clifford book guys I'm so bored you know I'm, I'm skipping pages you know I'm like Kelly I'm really tired why don't you read and I'll get it to, you know I mean but I'm into the Lion Witch of the Wardrobe it's an interesting story it's a good thing so those kind of strategic parenting um, on our on our refrigerator I'm just trying to give you personal examples this isn't Greg's a hero is not what I'm trying to do but if I just tell you everything Robert Lewis does which I'm going to do in a minute then I think, I think there'll be a disconnect. We got our, our Guatemala um, postcard. It's on our fridge. It's not at eye level for me. It's at eye level for him. So much that you can tell if I'm lying that we've got Grayson's doodles on this thing. Um, so he didn't write on the fridge. That was a good thing. But it's, it's at eye level for him. Now, you don't have to even be going on the trip to do that. Next trip that you get one of these from us, take it, clip it on the fridge, whatever eye level. If, you know, there's no teenage dads in the, in the room right now. What, dads of teenagers, I should say. Uh, you put it whatever eye level your kids are and use that as a little prayer thing to be able to do that. That's a great deal. There's a couple missionaries that, that we um, get their newsletters and help support. Um, the Cuttinghams right out of our church here, Kyle um, and his wife, uh, Donna. And so we've got their little magnet came in the mail yesterday. So that's going to go on the fridge. Uh, the Post, they're in Ireland, been friends for us for a long, long time. We have um, glad to have a, a Mustang convertible kind of on a fun, sunny day. To be able to take out and do that, well, every year when they come back on furlough, I give them my convertible for five months or whatever car they want. I give them any choice of whatever car. Here's the cars we own. You can have whichever one you want. And so then we walk out, and Grayson will say, well, where's the convertible? It's a beautiful day. Let's take that. Remember, we gave it to the missionaries, and we're letting them use it for five months. You know, and, and the, those folks, they said, you know, man, thanks for letting us use your car. It's so gracious of you. I said, look, it just helps me justify having a convertible, okay? So, you know, I give it to the missionaries for a few months. But those sort of things of strategic parenting, how is your kid going to understand that it's not about them? It won't be by you just taking them to the mall 
the mall will confirm that it is about them. It will be about you connecting them in a mission training center uh, that we have in Silver and, and, and Long Point. It'll be a, a trip that you take them on. Our rules for mission trips with kids is if you can handle them, take them. You know, if, if we're going to have to get babysitting for them, then they're not ready yet. So kind of that grade school age is a good time to start thinking about that. Um, what, what can you do? How, how can you involve them in something? What, what are some ways that you can strategically show them of what God's doing in your life and pray for them? Do you pray for their teacher when you put them to bed at night? Do you pray for their Sunday school teacher? Is there some things that are showing that it's not about them? All of life will confirm it's about them. Involved is wonderful. Strategic is different. What do you sing to them at night? If they hear Itsy Bitsy Spider for seven years, will that affect their life as much as them hearing Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty? You know, we, we sing to them a bunch of uh, songs. You know, my only hope is you. Remember that old praise chorus? My only joy is you. Uh, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You know, the name of the Lord should be praised. Different things like that. We, one of the things I, I sing to them, um, is this old, old chorus that we sing in my church. God still moves. God still moves. God still moves in the hearts of his people. God still moves. When we laugh because Gracie goes, God still moves. God still moves. You know, we kind of, it's got to count. No, <laughs> we kind of laugh. But it's getting in him that God still moves. In the hearts of his people, God still moves. And so those songs, the songs that are sung at the side of the bed will be the songs, songs that affect their life. So pick out three hymns, pick out a couple choruses, and just put them in there. Put them in there in those kids to be able to have strategic parenting. Um, uh, dad is a destiny. You're the only dad that they're going to have. Um, Grayson uh, came up to me a while back, and he came up and he said, Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg. You know, he hears that all the time when we walk in, and, and it's great. Our church, I tell you all this, told you this before our church is great about letting me be a dad people don't come up and ask me weird questions in the midst of it they see me with grace and they kind of let me just be dad and i really really appreciate that i want you to know so he comes up pastor greg pastor greg every time he says it i drop to a knee i had tear up saying this i say thousands of people call me pastor greg you're the only one He's calling me right now to call me Pastor Greg. <laughs> Thousands of people call me Pastor Greg. You're the only one that calls me Daddy. Now Valerie will call me Daddy. I'm the only one that he calls Daddy. I don't let him call me Pastor Greg. I, I, I say, you have a special name for me, Daddy. That's the same name your kid has for you. You're Salesman Joe to everybody else at the office. Engineer Bob, Dr. Uh, you know, Jimmy, whatever it is, and those sort of things. One person calls you daddy. That name is huge. You have power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name daddy. Dad is an important thing. Kenny Loggins, remember him, the old, I'm all right. Don't worry about me if you saw Caddyshack. Uh, you probably shouldn't rent it now that you're trying to walk with God, but you know, you saw it back then. Caddyshack, or uh, Kenny Loggins said it like this. He said, are you ever really free from the gravitational pull of the moon? Can a son ever stop melding his father's love? I don't think so. It's simply emotional physics. 
There's always that connection between us and the moon and the gravitational pull, but there's that connection also between dad and son to be able to have. Michael Jordan, after an NBA championship, after his dad died, um, he was holding the, the trophy, and he was sobbing at midcourt. And the announcer said this, well, this is a private moment for Michael. It's not a private moment. It's a primal moment. Dad wasn't there to watch the success. The trophy was hugged and clung to. Sobs were there. Why? Because he wasn't going to get enough money? Come on. Because he didn't have a trophy. He didn't have enough fame. No. There wasn't somebody there to say, you know what, Michael? I'm proud of you. You did a good job. That's what he was sobbing about. So there's that connection with Dad. Now, what are the three ingredients of strategic fatherhood? It's a volleyball illustration I'm going to give you. Number one, the dig, the dig. Dad's compelling character. Dad's compelling character. We all want to be like Dad for a time. The question is, how long does that time last? Dad's compelling character... So what we saw with Russell Crowe in the video clip from uh, Cinderella Man, is that the, the name of the movie? To be able to look at the dig of his character. We don't steal, he said. That's not what we do. Dad's compelling character. All of us want to be like Dad for a time. Was it just when you were a little kid? Did you wake up as an adult and go, what in the world is my dad thinking? I mean, it's, my gosh. I don't. Not only do I want to be, not be like him in those ways, I, I, need, to, I need to be different. Completely opposite, not just neutral, but completely different. And so dad's character, that dig of that depth of character. Number two, the set. Dad's clear instruction. We've got to set our kids up. What do they need to know? Gentlemen, it's not just having the sex talk when they're 12. Okay, That's the only talk we've got in our mind. Oh, when I get to that, I don't know what. You ought to be having talks all the way along the way. You know, when, when, you're, when your kid goes to the Rockets and he's Google-eyed at the power dancers, you know, you need to say, time to get nachos, let's go, let's get out of here, or just cover his eyes. And then so they say, Daddy, why do girls dress like that? Well, they dress like that because they're insecure and they want us to look at them and they want us to lust for them. And so we need to be careful about the things we look at. Teachable moment right there. It's happening. So now you get to the talk. And you're not two, two years late because he's been surfing on the Internet, you know, on, on, with his buddies. I mean, you know, was the first person that told you about girls your dad? Probably not. You probably saw a couple playboys behind the, uh, you know, back part of the school or somebody brought them to, I mean, you know, we've all, I mean, guys are guys. And so we've got to set them up with clear instruction of this is what it means. You don't talk to your mom like that. You don't treat girls like that. That's got to start way, way back of setting them up with clear instruction. You did a great job on that. Here's how you do that. Here's how you move forward in that. Number three, the spike. The spike. And we're going to get into this spike. We're going to give you a lot of things. Um, dad's create, uh, spike. Dad's creative ceremonies. Dad's creative ceremonies. This means that you start having some traditions in your home. Now we're going to talk about some ceremonies and really all we're going to talk about is about four ceremonies um, in 25 years. So these aren't all of them, okay? You've got to put some other ones in there to be able to have. Um, you can turn, turn the page if you want to. Um, some ceremonies and we'll get to those in a minute. 
couple we've done is uh, Tuesday night, my, my, I almost said my mom, uh, my wife, uh, my wife goes to, uh, to Living Proof Bible Study, Beth Moore's thing on Tuesday night. She hasn't been going now because we've got a newborn, but typically she goes. So we have father-son night. Works perfect. It's going to be me and him anyway. I'm not going to cook. I know that. So we're going to go out. So we might as well put it together with it, make it father-son night. So we'll go and we'll play tennis. We'll play sports. We'll play basketball. We'll order pizza. I mean, we make it father-son night. It's a tradition. It's a ceremony. So much that last night, Grayson asked me and said, when's it going to be father-son night? He starts asking that every week. When's it going to be father-son night? So we're trying to now gauge how to do it with two children now, which I know y'all know that have more than one child. Now we're juggling a little bit more. But we developed a healthy tradition we're not going to give up. So a couple of weeks ago, we went to the rodeo together. We had some tickets. So Grace and I went to the rodeo, and it was father-son night to go to the rodeo. So those traditions build into them a spike because now I'm teaching. I'm going with the dig, hopefully, of character. I'm teaching in these moments, and now I've got the spike where I'm putting in the kill with the ceremony. We, our sons need to hear three things from us, and, and I, I think you've probably heard these before, but it's worth repeating. Number one, they need to hear, I love you. You just write this down. There's no blanks for this. You just got to write it on your own. I love you. Number two, they need to hear, I'm proud of you. Proud of you. We can all be a little bit tough on our kids, particularly our sons, you know, where we're always, ah, and we don't really say, I'm proud of you for X, Y, Z. I love you, number one. I'm proud of you, number two. You're good at, insert blank. You're good at, insert great. Man, man when you're, you're good at band, you're good at math, you're good at reading, you're good at sports, you did a good job with that. Man, if, hearing those three words, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're good at. Your child should hear at least two out of three of those every day. Every day they should hear I love you and I'm proud of you for sure. And I'm good at might be a moment that you see them do something good and you say that, but you ought to be just putting that in them. On and on and on. Um, six times, uh, God with Jesus. We heard Jesus, uh, God with Jesus. You're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is the Savior. Uh, I want you to listen to him. He's good at ministry. I want you to listen to him. Okay, so now let's talk about um, the power of ceremonies. Okay? The power of ceremonies. And this is where we get on the next place. Uh, memorable ceremonies are costly. Thought, time, planning. Thought, time, planning. Memorable ceremonies are costly. It's going to take money. It's going to take thought. It's going to take time. Uh, we're baseball fans in my, my family, and it's kind of a neat thing. My dad always took me to the Astros game, so I, I enjoy taking Grace into the Astros game. So we got on the schedule uh, coming up. We're going to pick a date, and we're going to go to Yankee Stadium, Grayson and I, to uh, this, this year because it's last year of Yankee Stadium. We're going to take him so that he and I could go to Yankee Stadium on the last year. Now, uh, Morgan Innsberg, my buddy that used to be with the Astros, is, is trying to make the team with the Yankees, so pray for it because then I'll get free tickets, and they'll be really good. So uh, pray for that to happen, but bigger, more that Morgan could be used in that way. But So we're going to go and, and do that and be a part of that. That's, that's just a little ceremony in a sense of us using this to be able to put down. Um, ceremonies are costly. It's going to cost us flights. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us ticket price. New York's not expensive to get or inexpensive to get a hotel. So ceremonies are costly. Memorable ceremonies ascribe value to the person being celebrated. They ascribe value to the person being celebrated. 
Whenever you have a ceremony, if you think kind of like a rehearsal dinner, a wedding, that kind of ceremony, we're going to get to some examples of ceremonies. Um, they ascribe value to the person. It goes, man, you know what? This is your 25th anniversary here at the office, and we want to have a luncheon for you. That gives value to that person. We want to give you a pen, a gold watch. We do something on, on our staff um, that we'll have our, the peers on the staff will nominate a staff member to receive a, a reward, a award, not reward, but award, that they say, man, this person's done great. Then I have that person in our staff meeting come up and stand there, um, and I say, this is, the uh, last one that we have is Stephen Murray. So this is Stephen Murray on our staff. He's been doing a bang-up job, wonderful job. You guys have been the ones that have uh, selected him to receive this award, and we gave him a pen, we gave him a gift certificate, and he's standing up there, the pastor with his arm around him, saying, what a great job. Your peers voting on you to be able to lift you up. Sits down. That goes, wow, and lifted him up. And it also says to those in the room, man, I want to do a good job like that. I, I, I would like that sort of thing to happen to me. So it describes value to the person being celebrated. Uh, memorable ceremonies employ symbols. Think of graduation hats. Many of you are probably still wearing your college ring. It's a symbol of something that happened in a ceremony. You walked across the stage with hundreds of people. They said your name, hopefully pronounced it right. And you had two seconds of fame, but you still wear this as a symbol of that ceremony of graduation. We wear hats at graduation. Um, there's military bars and the quilts, you know, the generals all get that symbolize a ceremony that they move from lieutenant to general or whatever it is. We do that in our milestones that you've heard me preaching on milestones. We have different symbols that go along. At parent dedication, you get a picture of me and uh, the pastor and the couple and the baby, and then that's your symbol. Baptism, you get a picture, again, of, of me with the, the child being baptized or the adult being baptized, a baptism certificate. You go into um, adolescence with a true love waits uh, purity statement. You get a true love waits ring. Um, you know, learning to read. You get a Bible. We give away first grade Bible presentation. We give the kids a Bible. Always have that first Bible that they had. Symbols of an important ceremony of a milestone in their life. You see how this fits exactly where with where we're going as a church? All these things are strategically designed to help you do what you're doing as a parent. Memorable ceremonies involve others who are significant to the person being celebrated. You invite people to these things. So when you have uh, the graduation time for uh, what, what was just spoken about earlier, about the, the quest uh, ending in a couple weeks when we have kind of a graduation ceremony, it's great. You know how much security that will give your wife for her to know that you went through a, a study on how to be a godly man? To invite folks, maybe you invite somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And they see that and they go, wow, okay, incredible. That's a neat thing. Lastly, memorable ceremonies empower a life with vision. They empower a life with vision. Okay? Now let me give you a few things that, that Robert Lewis has. Ceremonies I use, I have used is the title. That's not Greg Mott's title. That's Robert Lewis's title. The knighthood model. The knighthood model. The knighthood model um, is somebody would move from a page to a squire to a knight. There was a progression. Page to a squire to a knight. So an associate uh, to a staff member to a partner, you know, maybe is how it goes, if we were to put it in the, in the business community. There's four ceremonies. A page is a ceremony of puberty. Pages were usually 7 to 13 years old. 
So at 13, they would move from a, a, a page to a knight, okay? Or excuse me, to a, squ- a squire. Is that right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, okay. I, I haven't done this, so I'm, I'm still kind of trying to preach his message here. Uh, Dobson Tapes, he's got a series called Preparing for Adolescence. Um, developing the definition of manhood, rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, all for God's greater reward. You've heard that before here. A symbol of remembrance to be able to, when he's 13, uh, to have a, a symbol of remembrance. Maybe that's a dinner. Maybe that's a sword that you give him. Maybe that's something that you say, you know what, here's a, a thing what Robert Lewis did with his son. He gave him a, a picture of Larry Bird because they were big Celtics fans. and It's an autographed picture. And he said, here's something really special. I want you to have this, and this will show you what it takes to kind of make it, uh, you know, as a godly man that you've got to try and do the things that Larry Bird does type of thing. And then a ceremonial prayer. So if, as you can couch it, there's a moment where you stop time and you say, okay, you're about to move from a page to a night. Let's do something special. Doesn't have to be exactly what he did, but let's do something special. Then you move into the squire. The squire is leaving home around 20. A squire would become a knight. So now they're moving from a squire time into a knight time. Okay, and in that uh, he would become a knight. So he gathers some dads together. They would explain this family crest that they would have. It'd just be men together, um, and then they would pray over that that kid and talk to him about things. And then they'd have a ceremonial circle of prayer with families. So they had some families that were close to them, an uncle, uh, somebody that you've been doing life with, and they'd come and they'd have a dinner together, and it would be symbolic of he's going off, you know, a graduation kind of dinner. Then they have, number three, a night ceremony. Here the night becomes a part of the round table, okay? Now they move to being a part of the dad circle. So you had a dad blessing the page way back in the beginning when he became 13, then you got a circle of dads blessing the 13-year-old or the 20-year-old when he's becoming a, a knight. Now you have, and maybe the next graduation point, now he's a part of this table. You're now a peer, not just somebody that we're blessing to be able to have. It's a gathering of men. Wise words are there. They give them a ring, um, a welcoming to the round table. Then the next step is the oath and the ceremony of re- marriage. These same folks, then they've been journeying with this son, stand up at the rehearsal dinner. Say, man, here's what I've seen in this and are challenged, and they present to him not the explanation of a crest, but they present to him the crest that will then hang in his home. You see, there's a little process that goes through. Um, Robert Lewis uh, wrote a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight that will unpack this a whole lot better and and more than than I did, if you want to get that. Um, Those are just four little ceremonies to be able to have uh, in that spot. The last little thing there uh, that I want you to know, it's never too late never too late and then the last blanks be creative and your son will love it when we hear these things it sounds kind of hokey to us you know when I hear these things it kind of goes is that weird your son will love it just as when you do something extra special for your wife it feels hokey to us sometimes as men your wife loves it so when we do these things is is manhood with our sons there's going to be uh, some opportunities that God's going to give you along the way but when you, when you plan out these ceremony spots, then in those places, it's going to feel hokey at times, but it's going to be special. I've got here a, um, a picture that is, that's in my son's room. The boys is what it says on the bottom, the frame that we have. And it's got my son and me on the Herman Park train, you know that train uh, that's at the zoo. Uh, I hear they're getting a new one or something. Um, so 
I hadn't ridden the new one. This, this is a really neat picture for me. My, my parents were divorced when I was two. I'd spend first and third weekends of the month with my dad. And so he would always take me to do something fun. You know, he was trying, trying to figure out something to do with the kid, you know, on the weekend. And so he would take me, and so we'd go to a ball game. We'd go to, um, uh, you know, Louisiana. He's a big LSU fan. We'd go see my grandparents go to LSU game, whatever it is, you know, to do that. And one of the things we would do is we'd go to Herman Park and we'd go to the zoo. And we would always ride the train. So I had these memories of me and my dad on the train. Then I then went and took Grayson on the train. So here we are taking a picture now. Of, of he and I on the train being able to go together. So this is in his room. It's just a symbol for me of being an, an involved, yes, but also being strategic with my Christianity, of saying I want this to be something that really walks out and have a symbol of that. Uh, my watch here that I got, um, somebody gave this to me, not my dad, but, but another uh, very important kind of a mentor man in my life gave me this watch when I turned 30. So I'm able to wear this watch, it's a nice watch, and to put this on and to look at this. And I remember back, you know, it doesn't seem like that was seven years ago, but now here I still have this watch. To remember a 30-year birthday, that watch, somebody gave that to me, a mentor in my life, that gave it to me to say, man, this is a milestone for you. This is important. And so now I have this watch to be able to do that. I, I have visions of being able to give this watch to Grayson, you know, to be able to say, here's something for you. This was passed on to me. Give you one other little thing. Um, this is my Bible. Um, just kidding. Uh, in this Bible, I retire a Bible every five years is what I typically was doing. Okay, now I'm moving uh, kind of on that same plan, maybe a little sooner every once in a while. But what I mean by that is I found in my life, when I have a Bible, I found that I just kept it and kept it and kept it. So I didn't memorize Scripture anymore. I just knew right-hand side, highlight with a star. That's where the scripture was that said such and such. I didn't know what book it was in, but I was familiar with my Bible. So I decided that I was going to retire my Bible every five years. It was going to challenge me uh, to memorize scripture a little bit better. And then, this is my vision, I want to give every child of mine and every grandchild of mine, I want them to just don't hear about their grandfather or their father was a godly man. I want to be able to hand them in a strategic moment. I think it's going to be you know, maybe 13 or 18. Here is my Bible. And I want you to have it. And they get a worn, hopefully tattered Bible with highlights and underlines and notes in the margin. And that speaks to them powerfully. Can you imagine if every, if I had five grandchildren, every one of them had a tattered, worn out Bible as opposed to my family goes, well, there was dad's Bible <sighs> blown off the dust. In my Bible, too, I've done a little ceremony just for me as pastor. I have... In here, um, uh, if, if you can see all this writing in the back, um, and then it goes over to the front here. I have whoever I baptize, I have them sign the front of my Bible or the back of my Bible. So I've got all these names written down here that have been signed in my Bible. So much that I've got all these written down that now I had to go here, and I'm on I'm double column on the front, double column on the back, double column on this next page is where it's going to be there. One, praise the Lord for what he's doing in our church, because I, I only baptize once a month. I mean, that's it. And so here we've got all these things. I write down every funeral that I do, every wedding that I do in my Bible so that they can have here. And now they're going to have this, and I'm going to give this to Grayson at a certain moment uh, to be able to have that. Um, uh, my buddy Morgan that I mentioned before, he gave me a, a glove uh, that's uh, this like $400 baseball glove. Well, we got it, and when Grayson begins playing high school baseball, 
that'll be a rite of passage for him. Here's your major league glove, you know, that uh, Mr. Morgan had, and he's, he, he wants you to have it. Those little things to be able to make that. So take it, make it your own. It doesn't have to be exactly what Robert Lewis does. It doesn't have to be what, what I do. What's special to you if you're not into the things I'm into or, you know, whatever it is. But just to give you some ideas that we've got to put some things, if we're really going to be strategic parents, it's going to take time, it's going to take thought um, to be able to walk that out. So those are some things for you. You can put some things on your fridge. You can frame some things. You get down on your knee. This is why life's not about you. Here's some moments to move along, and you create that, and then you're, you're being a dad over a long term, not just, okay, it's the sex talk. Uh, you know, here it is, and they already know the information. They're telling you things. You're like, really? Huh. I've never heard of that. Okay, that's weird. Don't do that. Uh, you know, so anyway, love you. God bless you. Y'all take your table time. Let me pray for us, and we can talk around the table. Father, thank you so much for our sons. Uh, we are grateful for them. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go to your table, tell me we one last thing. I know I'm, I, Eric complimented me on not going long. Here I am talking too long. Okay. Last little thing. This is from John Piper's blog, The Day His Dad Died. And I just want you to hear this, and then I'm not going to say another word. You go right in your table time. Thank you, Daddy. He's over his, 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 his dead. He's passed away. He's, he's in the hospital bed. He's there in the hospital room. Thank you, Daddy, for 61 years of faithfulness to me. I'm simply looking to, into his face now. Thank you. You were a good father. Hear this, men. You never put me down. Discipline, yes. Spankings, yes. But you never scorned me. You never treated me with contempt. I love this phrase. You never spoke of my future with hopelessness in your voice. You believed God's hand was on me. You approved of my ministry. You prayed for me every day. Maybe that's the biggest change these new days. Daddy is no longer praying for me. I look you in the face and I promise you with all my heart, I will never forsake your gospel. Oh, how you believed in hell and heaven and Christ and the cross, the blood and righteousness and faith and salvation and the Holy Spirit and a life of holiness and love. I rededicate myself, Daddy, to serve your great, glorious Lord Jesus with all of my heart, all of my strength. You have not lived in vain. Your life goes on in thousands, and I'm glad to be one. I kissed his cold cheek and on his forehead. I love you, Daddy. Thank you.